Hi, I'd like to welcome you to our show. I'm your host, Praying Medic. We're talking about life as a child of God and all things related to his kingdom. Thanks for joining us. If you're a new listener to the show, you can find articles and books and other resources on my website, www.prayingmedic.com. You can also connect with me on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Praying Medic. Now let's jump into this week's show. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. Today we have a very long message with my new friend, Daniel Duvall. And in this podcast, we cover a lot of different subjects. We are going to talk about emotional trauma, altars, fragments, and the inner world. We're going to talk about how inflammation is the not-so-obvious cause of many diseases. We are going to talk about alien abductions, government mind control programs, strategies for heavenly warfare, operating in the courts of heaven, the nature of portals, false timelines created by the enemy, how they affect us, and how they can be destroyed. We're going to cover all those subjects and a whole lot more. So fasten your seatbelts, because in the next two hours, we're going to see exactly how far down the rabbit hole we can go. Mr. Duvall. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, I got a little bit of a cold, so I'll try to keep my hacking and coughing down to a minimum. No worries, man. Um, it's, it's nice to meet you, and uh, we're going to cruise today. It, it's, um, it's good to meet you. Darla was so excited about me interviewing you. She's like, Daniel, you've got to interview this guy. And um, now I see why. Well, yeah, I mean, the same thing. That was me. I had really not heard of you prior to a couple of my friends putting a bug in my ear going, hey, you've got to interview this guy. You've got to get him on your podcast. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know who he is, so I have to go check him out. It's kind of funny that our, our mutual friends were bugging us to get each other to uh, interview him. It's so good. <laughs> that, oh, that, that's, that's how the Holy Spirit works, though, right? Well, first of all, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, yeah, we're going to talk about healing. We're going to talk about nuts and bolts healing. We're going to talk about what God revealed to you. Then we get on the call j- just before the program and we start chatting. And <laughs> what do you tell me? But, man, Daniel, am I getting really interested in dissociation, in some of this uh, stuff that's been done by the government to people. Um, I'm telling you, folks, I'm so excited right now about talking to the praying medic. But this guy, I can already tell, is so on the frequency of what God is doing right now in the earth. And you know what, David, let me me just ask you this. Uh, How does someone like you who has begun a journey in the, the ministry of healing and miracles wind up asking questions about dissociation, personality fragments, um, brokenness due to severe trauma. What, what? <laughs> the rabbit hole is very deep. You wouldn't think the rabbit hole was very deep if you just read the Gospels and look at the healing accounts of Jesus and the disciples. On the surface, you look at the way Jesus got people healed. He put mud in somebody's eye. He touched them. Power went out from him. He spoke a word. It seemed on the surface as if his healing was very simple. And my books are called Divine Healing Made Simple, Seeing in the Spirit Made Simple. So I like to make things simple, but 
what I've found is that the foundational building blocks of healing are indeed simple, but there are conditions that we need to get healed, which are not as simple as they appear. For the people who have been in healing for a while, and who've, you know what I'm talking about, you run up against these people who, you, no matter what you do, you can't get them healed. You can pray over them, you can make declarations, you can do deliverance, you can remove demons, you can do everything that we're all trained to do, and still these people are not healed. At that point, you have to make some choices about what you're going to do if you're determined to get them healed. Some people in the healing community have chosen to take the view that all healing is simply just a matter of having enough faith. If somebody's not healed, well, you just need to have more faith. And it's that simple for them. Some of us have gone down another road, and we've started to explore other options. Like, what if it's not just an issue of faith? I really love what Steve Harmon is doing. Uh, Steve's been a friend of mine for a long time, and Steve and I kind of went down the same road together. We got, both got into healing about, about the same time, and we both ran into the same roadblocks. We were running into people with bipolar disorder, with uh, schizoaffective disorder, with uh, dissociative identity disorder, fibromyalgia, and autoimmune diseases, and things of that nature that were just, it didn't matter what you did, you just couldn't get these people healed. Or if they did get healed, they their symptoms came back. Right. So Steve went down a road where he started experimenting and trying different things. And the Holy Spirit and Jesus led him to try some very unique approaches, some very strange things that he didn't read about in the Bible and he wasn't taught when he went to uh, Bible school. They didn't teach him this stuff. He was learning right from Jesus, learning from the Holy Spirit uh, about the keys to getting people healed. And he and I have talked, and I've had some dreams where the Lord has revealed to me some similar things. I'm heavily dependent upon my dreams for revelation uh, in the realm of healing. I had a very interesting dream the other night. Oh, uh, it was it was really helpful. Is, is that something well, that we can hear about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, my wife and I had been reading an article on the subject of grounding. And I had heard of it, but I didn't know anything about it. The, the basic principle, we know, scientists know, that aging and destruction of the body tissues and many disease processes are caused by uh, free radicals that are running around your body causing damage. And they've been studying for a long time how to reduce the effect of free radicals. Uh, on your body. And they pretty much have determined that if they could figure out how to reduce the damage done by free radicals, your physical body could live forever. It's really only the destruction done by free radicals that causes aging, causes deterioration, causes you know, sickness and disease. So we were reading this article written by a doctor named Stephen Sinatra, who did some groundbreaking work years ago on the real cause of coronary artery disease. And rather than this narrative that we've been fed for 30 years, which is coronary artery disease is a matter of uh, plaque formation caused by high cholesterol, he put forth the idea that suggests that coronary artery disease is actually an inflammatory process. That when you open up arteries that have been taken from hearts that have closed off, if you scrape off the plaque underneath, you find red, raw, inflamed arteries. 
and their uh, understanding now is that coronary artery disease is an inflammatory process and the plaque that is laid down in the arteries is a protective mechanism. The body is actually trying to coat and soothe the inflamed arteries with plaque. And if you remove the process that causes the inflammation, you remove the plaque. Well, I was reading this morning a new study that came out of University of Texas, which has been published in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association. They have discovered that GERD, uh, gastric esophageal reflux, is also an inflammatory process. It's not a process caused by excess stomach acid, as has always been suspected, but it's an inflammatory process. And inflammation is being implicated now in a lot of different diseases. Hmm. More and more, as time goes on, they're starting to think that Alzheimer's, diabetes, uh, in fact, a lot of the complications that come with diabetes are clearly inflammatory. When you see someone who's been a diabetic for 20, 25 years, and you look at their, um, their feet and legs, usually they're red and swollen, and you can just see raw, red, inflamed tissues in their legs and feet. It's all inflammatory. Well, inflammation is largely a product of free radicals. Free radicals running through the body, cause the, they cause this inflammatory process. So going back to the article I was reading the other day, mm-hmm. it's about grounding. And the theory that, that they have come up with now is that it is through positively and negatively charged uh, ions running through the body that is why free radicals are causing a problem. And what they found is that if you come in contact with the earth for a long enough period of time, your body will naturally absorb ions that will neutralize the effect of free radicals. That simply walking barefoot or laying on the ground uh, and coming in contact with the earth on a regular basis will naturally reduce the damage of free radicals. Now, one of the doctors in this article uh, has been treating diabetic patients for a long time. And he found uh, he was treating 25 patients with uh, peripheral neuropathy, mostly in their feet and legs. He started doing grounding in his uh, in his practice. He would basically have these mats or these uh, devices that would wrap around your wrist or arm that would be grounded. And through short sessions of like an hour, uh, people would come into his office. They would do an hour session a week, and all of them had their neuropathy removed by do, simply by doing grounding. Many of them uh, are no longer taking insulin. Their diabetes has been reversed. That's amazing. Uh, diabetic ulcers on their skin have been completely removed just by the technique of using grounding. My wife and I were reading these articles, and I thought, this is crazy. How do we not know this? So that night, the Lord gave me a dream. And in the dream, it was revealed to me that Many of the diseases that we have are caused by something completely different from what we suspect is the actual cause of them. That was a dream I had early in the night. Right before I woke up, I had a second dream. In that dream, I was going around to different people, and I was talking to them about their diseases that they had, and I was helping them understand that the real cause of their disease was not what they thought it was. It was something completely different. So this whole subject of healing, for me, mm-hmm. I, as much as I like to take the concepts that God gives me and put them in simple terms, 
we have to understand that um, there are some very deceptive things going on with respect to disease and illness that we don't really understand the true causes like we think we do. It's, it, it, it's, it's profound. This it, conversation it, needs to happen. <laughs> it does. It absolutely does. So I was saying, I'm, I'm really led by my dreams. And uh, what the Lord has been speaking to me in my dreams over the last couple of years is he's been saying, okay, you got the basics down for physical healing, but now we need to go after things like emotional healing and healing uh, psychological disorders, which <laughs> a lot of people have a difficulty with, and I've had difficulty. So he started giving me dreams. The key dream that, that he gave me years ago, I asked him one night to reveal the key to healing uh, mental illness. And he gave me a very simple dream. In the dream, he said, mental illness is healed through love. <laughs> wow. That did not make me happy because, <laughs> because I was expecting some really elaborate, cool, you know, you have to do this and you have to get rid of these spirits and you have to heal all this inner stuff and you have to, and he was like, no, it's, it's love. I was like, oh man, you're killing me, Smalls. So hmm. there have been other dreams that I've had since then, mm -hmm. which have revealed what that looks like because it's. It is love that is the greatest force in the universe. Okay, we, God is love, right? Yep. That's His nature. It's His character. And you and I know that a lot of what people are suffering with in terms of mental illness comes from a lack of people experiencing love. They're experiencing other things: shame, guilt, terror, fear but they're not experiencing love. And if they were experiencing love instead of those other things, uh, they wouldn't be in the place that they are right now. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. I have a friend in Canada mm -hmm. uh, who asked me yesterday, have you done any messages m that pertain mostly to fragments and altars? And I said, no, but I plan to. I, I for some reason, have... I have people who have su suffered a lot of emotional trauma, and I have friends who are writers. <laughs> and, and my major focus right now on social media is helping people get healed of emotional trauma and helping writers publish their books and get them, and get them out there. Awesome. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it, and, and I'm learning a lot, and uh, I know my listeners are going to love this message because every time I post something about emotional healing, altars and fragments, people are just like, we need more of this. We need more understanding. How come nobody's talking about this? So it's going to bless a lot of people. Praise God. It's just amazing. Like your audience is ready for this kind of stuff. And, you know, oh, honestly, God. I think just people are sick of being sick. They are. They're tired of being broken. And they want an answer that is an answer, not just a religious platitude that doesn't solve anything except make. And that's, and that's what they're hearing. They're getting a lot of religious platitudes. And they're fed up with it. <laughs> like, they're I'm so sick and tired. If I hear one more person tell me I don't have enough faith, uh, I'm going to scream. I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> no, I mean, it's real. We are so out there, man. It's. <laughs> 
I, I'm okay with out there. I, I was not okay with out there a few years ago, but now I'm realizing the stuff that really is working and is uh, having a, uh, an effect on people and changing lives is unfortunately some stuff that's really out there. The enemy is way, way out there, and a lot of us are just afraid to go out there. We need to listen. We need to be open to the truth, regardless of how strange it sounds. I've been looking through your podcast. I haven't listened to all the messages. I haven't had time, but you oh, get into some really interesting subjects, for sure. <laughs> uh, a lot of subjects that I'm, I'm really interested in myself that I need is, to learn about. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I ran into a gal. She sent me an email three four months ago, and I had never heard of MK Ultra. And after I got her email, I did some digging, and oh, man, I man. could not believe what I found. Wow. It, it was just, well, you know. I mean, really, the government is doing this to us? It's awesome that there are people like you who can be resources to help folks who've gone through that stuff. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, we're on the front lines. The rabbit hole is really deep, and I get it, to see the depths. It, it, it is deep. I, I, I got so far, and I was like, I do not want to go any further down this road. <laughs> I've read enough. I've seen enough. I'm like, ugh. I mean, eventually I'll probably run into some people who've, uh, who have been uh, subjects of the research, and then I'll have to go a little further into it. But, man, it was, it was freaky. So you listen to a few of my podcasts on subjects like I, that? I listened to your message with Steve Harmon. Because Steve is one of my buds. I, I, I'm particularly interested in the subject of fragments and altars and emotional trauma. That's something that has been on my radar now for the last couple of years. Uh, after seeing a lot of people physically healed, I was running into roadblocks, and I started asking the Holy Spirit, okay, how do we get the rest of this junk healed? And so that's the next branch on the rabbit hole was going down to emotional healing and learning about fragments and altars and all that. So that's like the same journey Steve had. Yeah. He's out there doing miracles and signs yeah. and praying for people. Everyone ran into the same thing. Yeah. Steve and I talk quite often. I've learned a lot from him. He has got some breakthrough and some revelation about stuff that is not fit for print, but is really, really effective and amazing. Mm. The stuff that he's experienced in his uh, year, few years he's been doing this. Yep. We connected and we chatted about that. Uh, we chatted about more privately. Uh, Steve's a yeah. great brother. Yeah, um, he is. That the stuff that I see and deal with is literally out of this world. I know. There's not even a he, conversation to have. I, I, I'm trying to create one. <laughs> I mean, it's like who – even if you told people what was going on, who is going to believe you? It's literally like the Matrix. It's like the stuff that people would not have a grid for. It's like they could not believe what is going on if you told them. And, and if you showed them, they would just be like, no way, that can't be the case. But it, it is. It's pretty intense. I have a, one client. The Lord has literally been pulling various types of implants, mostly liquid crystal, out of their body for a year actually had their entire scalp injected with liquid crystals to lock in memories. And even uh, deeper than that, it, the nanotech, which is beyond the liquid crystal, 
they can use it to interfere with spiritual function in the human. So the spirit can get suppressed through nanotech. And a nanotech is a bridge to the other dimensions, which is how they hack in scientifically through people from other realms. This, I deal with this head on. That's crazy. Um, because the woman who contacted me by email, that's exactly what she said. She said, is there any way I can get these damn implants removed? I mean, she knows that she's got implants. And it was the first I'd heard of it. I was like, what kind of implants are we talking about? I didn't had no idea what she was talking about. But evidently, that's what she's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of implants. They have torture implants, dental implants, liquid crystal implants. Um, they have nanotech implants. They have RFID implants. Um, th those are like really old. Do we know who's putting the implants in? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, some of them are, are done by the government, um, but those are the lower tech ones. There's a lot of other groups, and you can call them what you want. Cosmic entities, fallen angels, demons, hybrids. Uh, they have technology, they have craft, they have off-world blade bases. They, they do this stuff. They put implants into people, and uh, then they put them back with implants in them. They have no memory of how they got them. It, it's a complex conversation, and I, I just love that you are wanting to go there, because this is exactly what we've seen. And as a matter of fact, some people that listen to this podcast know we see things like the removal, miraculous removal, removal of things like implants, right? So someone has a symptom like ringing in their ears. It's like, what's causing that? Is it a disease? Is it a virus? Is it a bacteria? Nope. None of the above. It's a piece of technology. How does God heal that, though? You know, it's a different conversation <clears throat> than just praying that a headache evaporate out of a person's body. Um, when a person has autoimmune diseases, Many of these are the body attacking itself because of things like self-hatred. Hmm. It's interesting you mentioned ringing in the ears because I have been getting a lot of emails in the last three months where people are saying that they have ringing in their ears and they have had prayer and they've had deliverance and they have had all this stuff and they cannot get rid of this ringing in their ears. And I quite frankly don't have an answer. I do not know why these people aren't healed. You just explained something that I had never considered before. Yeah, uh, and it's it's. <laughs> well, I I shouldn't say that I've never considered them. I'll, I'll say this: I have like Steve Harmon, mm -hmm. and uh, I have a friend Matt Evans. They uh, see things in the spirit very acutely. Mm -hmm. They often see demonic devices that have been attached to people. So when you talk about implants, I'm not sure. Where, I mean, I kind of know what you're talking about a little bit, but. These people often see like metal bands that have been put around someone's head and the person feels this squeezing pressure on their skull. Uh, they go to have tests, CAT scans, nothing ever comes back. And then uh, one of these guys will be praying for them and see this metal band around their head and they'll just like tell an angel to cut that thing off or they'll make a prophetic act of cutting the band off and the person's headache goes away. This um, is so 
true. And for those of you that are listening, you know, let me explain what I'm talking about because we've dealt with this and have seen a whole list of things lending to implants. We've seen liquid crystal implants. We've seen uh, torture implants. We've seen dental implants. We've seen RFID chip type implants. There's also nanotech implants, which you can't see with the physical eye because it's, it's so small. It's, that's why it's called nanotech. And, and all of this is implicated in some of the conversation on healing. Some of it's done by government projects. Others of it is done by stuff that people really have a hard time branching off into. And that would include the concept of you know UFO abductions and what happens when this kind of activity is occurring and all that. People come back with the problems. And we're seeing the problems being alleviated. We've seen implants that are both spiritual and physical. And that's the, like, what you're saying is absolutely true. There are those types of demonic attachments that we see that just are removed in the spirit by the spirit. Then there are physical ones that are removed by spiritual power imposed upon the natural, lending to manifestation of actual Things coming out of the body, and uh, we have evidence of both, uh, realistically. And so, when you talk about UFO abductions and alien abductions, years ago, mm-hmm. I got interested in that subject a little bit. I, I've always been kind of a skeptic because I, I was an atheist, and I was always skeptical about the supernatural and paranormal. But I ran into a series of testimonies that were recorded, uh, posted on YouTube. These, I think the first one I ran into was a, a testimony that was recorded by four different people who experienced an alien abduction when they were children. And they grew up and they grew apart and they went to, lived in different cities and had never talked about their entire time. Even as children, they never talked about the alien abduction. They were too afraid to have any conversations about it. So they never talked about it. But as adults years later, they got together and they were interviewed, and they were asked to recount what happened. And all of them recounted essentially the same story, that they were uh, abducted, taken into uh, some kind of a spacecraft. There were these you know, gray beings that did surgery on them. And the whole issue of doing surgery on people in the, when they're abducted, to me, is very interesting because I'm finding a common thread. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been listening to these YouTube videos by a woman who has dealt with uh, satanic ritual abuse survivors for probably over a decade. And she talks about magic surgery, which is one of the things that they do in satanic ritual abuse. They do this, what they call magic surgery, and they perform. It's essentially, it's, it's a mind trick that they use to make the person think. They're implanting something in their body, something like a castle or a city or some structure inside of them. And during the, during the rituals, they, you know, of course, induce uh, emotional trauma. And then the altars and fragments end up living in this castle or the city that has been created or superimposed on them during the magic surgery. And I, I keep running into these stories where people are having these surgeries, having these implants, and I think, you know, what the heck is going on here? I would be interested in hearing your thoughts. 
<laughs> the interviewer gets interviewed. <laughs> yes. Well, hey, come on, man. Turn about well, and this is it's just really interesting <clears throat> because um, when we we get into the conversation on dissociation and we begin to talk about working with people that have survived things like satanic ritual abuse, what is very common, it's a common thread in the conversation, is the subject of inner worlds. Right. And the inner worlds essentially play out like labyrinths, and they have houses, and there'll be castles, there'll be dungeons. I've run into airports, I've run into uh, libraries, hall of records, uh, they have uh, carousels, they have Ferris wheel. I mean, you just name it. And and it's not just the satanic ritual abuse side because they use the same strategies in government-sponsored mind control projects, spinoffs and, of... And at this point, I'd like to, for listeners who are not familiar with uh, the government mind control projects, just Google uh, MK Ultra. It's just capital M, capital K, Ultra. And do some research and you'll find that for years, the U.S. government... And actually, the Canadian government uh, were involved in some well-known, well-publicized, well-researched mind control projects during the 50s and 60s and then into the 70s. So this is what we're talking about. We're not, this is not conspiracy theory. This is very well-documented stuff that's been going on. So go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and really, MKUltra, as I understand it, was almost a cover for Project Artichoke, which was some some really deep stuff and while they stopped what was known as mk ultra uh projects continued under various black budget uh projects um and it, it never really stopped i mean it's still going on today it, it, it's the idea though that if you are able to plant these uh inner worlds into a person you can organize the fragments um, in, into essentially a, it's like a prison world because a person gets trapped in their own mind and by mind what we understand that to be is the subconscious realm of the human mind that's where the altars or the fragments happen to live and there seems to be a huge degree of interplay between what is known as a subconscious which I personally relate to the biblical revelation of the heart and the spirit realm, which is also attributed to the human spirit. So when you get into the conversation on these inner worlds and, and what's going on there, spiritual principles can build up or tear down or rework whatever is existing in that inner world. So, it, and, and I deal with this all the time. So if I go in somewhere and there's like a d giant prison on the inside of a person, there will usually be guards, like demonic guards. You bind the guards and then you open the prison doors with the word of God. It says Isaiah 61, he came to open the prison doors to them which are bound. Suddenly everyone that's been trapped in that prison um, is set free. And you can say, you know, something like, well, I command that prison to become a ruinous heap. And you know, taking judgment words out of the Bible, the whole prison complex can collapse in the person's subconscious, which has an interplay with the spirit realm because a person is spiritually getting set free in a process of a session like this. But if that prison is some kind of sickness or disease or some kind of affliction designed to keep them in bondage in the natural, th there can be deliverance by the resolution of things going on deep within the subconscious. So we've seen autoimmune diseases begin to not become a problem in a person as 
inner healing begins to take place, deconstruction of inner worlds is often part of the process. So you deconstruct the inner world, and that's necessary because the inner world is essentially a fabrication of the enemy? Yes. <laughs> I mean, in, in simple terms. Yes. For, for listeners who are trying to figure out what in the world these crazy guys are talking about. We're, we're, we're being crazy now, brother. This week I was talking to a woman who was telling me about finding something like one of her soul children in a prison, and she didn't know how to get it out. Hmm. And I was like, okay, well, it sounds to me like you've found one of those inner structures, an inner world. And I remember uh, Anna Mendez Farrell mm -hmm. in Regions of Captivity talked about, you know, the fact that in these inner worlds, the, the prisons and the dungeons and the castles, there are often guards, uh, demonic guards. She talked about um, sometimes taking angels with her to have the angels deal with the guards and have them open the doors, mm -hmm. or sometimes having Jesus uh, unlock the door and giving the, the prisoner that they find to Jesus to heal them or minister to them in some way. But in your experience, it sounds like you're more about freeing the prisoners and then uh, destroying the structure. I, I do destroy the structures. And, and, and what we've seen is that the prisons and these structures, some of them exist within the person and in their own subconscious. Some of them exist outside of the person in other locations in the spirit realm, otherwise known right. as heavenly places. Right. And, and that is an interesting thing to – you have to make a distinction mm -hmm. because, like, like you said, it seems like some of the structures are internal to the individual. They're in their mind, in their soul, or in their heart. And then some of them are actual structures in the spiritual world. Let me, let, me, let me share a brief story here at this point to, to give people an idea of just how ridiculous this stuff can get. So I'm, I'm helping a person the other day, and their spirit has actually been fractured. And right. so you know, there's fragmentation of the soul, and there is also the ability to fragment the spirit. A, a lot of people are not familiar with trauma to the spirit. But Steve Harmon shared a story with me about somebody who had gone through a, a really ridiculous satanic ritual that actually fractured their spirit. And I, that's, that's something that is not often talked about. So I'm interested in hearing what, you, what your insights are on that. Well, the Bible says in Psalm 51:17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These the Lord will not despise. The word broken for broken spirit is the Hebrew word shabar, which means to literally break in pieces or shatter. That's interesting because Bethel's uh, emotional healing, their top level healing course is called shabar, I think. Wow. Yeah. Broken. Huh. Interesting. So you were working with this person who had a fragmented spirit? It's essentially, yes. Okay. And... What we did was we found that a piece of their spirit had been encased in this prism. It was like a, it looked like a prism, and it was like we could see, the person could see that portion of their spirit crying out for help, but they couldn't be heard because um, there was no way for sound to escape the prism. And so there it was. And I said, okay, 
Now, one of the like you learn a lot of weird terms when you begin to deal with the spirit, like booby traps. Everything gets booby trapped. Right. So if you go to deal with something, like like uh, you know, let's say you're praying for someone and they have um, like carpet tunnel, but it's a demonically induced carpet tunnel, and you begin to pray that the you know the demon would be cast out, this causing the carpet tunnel. Well, they'll attach the carpet tunnel to a booby trap that will create nausea. Say, I'm just making something up right now. So that as soon as you begin to engage the demon, but the booby trap's going off, the person is then triggered into nausea, which is totally unrelated in any kind of logic. But now you have two problems on your hands and you have no idea what's going okay. on. Okay, stop, stop, stop. Hold the phone. Uh-oh. So, all right. So this is something else. I, and I wanted to bring this up. In my reading and exploring the inner worlds and the castles and the dungeons booby traps often come up and many times the fragments and altars are aware of their demonic guards and they're aware of the booby traps and it's been my understanding that sometimes the altars and fragments will not go along with your plan to bring them freedom or to bring them out of the prisons because they know if i touch that door there's a booby trap and so one of the things that steve Harmon has told me quite a bit is the difficulty oftentimes in dealing with fragments and altars and even the core of the person's uh, personality is reluctance to cooperate with the healing protocol you're trying to use because they're either fearful of what the demons are going to do or the booby traps or they're just not motivated really to do what you want to do. So you're saying that the booby traps, this is something that I have not had any discussions with people about is that the booby traps themselves actually will inflict some other type of illness symptom that now the person has to deal with and this is so interesting because many times when i am praying with people to be healed their headache will turn into nausea or back pain indigestion or some other thing and i'm like why i i I sense that it's a spirit doing something Mm -hmm. but i can't explain why it's turning yeah. it to something else. And then the person gets freaked out mm-hmm. and they think you better stop praying because it's, I'm getting worse. Now I only had a headache and now I have headache and nausea. The devil is very smart. And when he is able to implant booby traps, the person that does not know what they're doing or just trying to step out in faith a little bit and gets a little bit of success who runs into the booby trap will immediately be discouraged thinking that their prayer was ineffective or be blamed for the person's additional symptoms and get called a witch or a warlock or some kind of infiltrator in the church because their prayers cause additional problems. See, the devil sets people up for failure, knowing that people will in genuine desire to follow Jesus, try to pray for healing, try to pray for deliverance and breakthrough. And he's so many steps ahead of the body of Christ that he has set, like, literally set traps for Christians to get deceived by. And then they, what they do is they walk away with their tail between their legs and say, I guess I was never meant to minister healing. They just got oh hit by gosh. a booby trap. Oh, yeah, my gosh. I'm telling you. I, I have so many friends who they write me and go, man, I don't think this is for me. Uh, you know, like I prayed, I tried praying for my wife or I tried praying for my husband or and they seem to get worse every time I pray for them. And I'm like, OK, well. 
why don't you try praying for something a little simpler, like find somebody who's got a sprained finger or, or knee problem. It's it's discouraging for a lot of people because they do seem to run into these situations where you pray and their oh, person's only getting worse. And then they think, what am I doing? Why are they getting worse? And then they get discouraged and they don't want to pray at all. Then they're like, I, I don't have the gift of healing. This is for other people. But that explains, to me anyway, that explains the results a lot of people have, which well, are, are not good. And sometimes. I mean, this is still, we're still in simple stuff because, you know, when we get to the idea of portaling other realms through portions of the body, like the spleen or liver, you really Do we get to, to talk about portals. I, I am so going to love this. <laughs> you know what? We are going to talk about portals. In a minute, All right. But folks, before we get to portals, I need to finish my story. <laughs> finish your story. Stop getting distracted. I know. What is my problem? Goodness gracious. I, I, I take full accountability here, folks. This is my program, and we're like all over the place. But this is what I was saying. So we're going after a portion of this person's spirit, and we find it in a prism. So I say, because I, I know what I'm doing, I say, I disarm all the booby traps. Like, before I even get started, I will just speak it. Because once it's spoken, it's... It's done. And, it, and I also do this other thing that I, I really can't get into uh, too much on this program, but it, it has to do with using something called a realm, but it's really an archie. But anyway, uh, I, I will essentially take dominion over whatever battlefield I happen to be on and, and recharacterize it with the power of God before I go in. And so anyway, I'd already done that. And there I was, and I disarmed all the booby traps. And then uh, the, the, the prism shifted and changed. And so it, it, it's really pretty well you know, put together. And what I did was I spoke that a door would be opened inside of the prism and that, that it would essentially be like stepping through a portal so that the part of that person's spirit could be removed from the prism. But as I opened the door, then there was that giant demon that was in the prism to torment and persecute that part of the person's spirit in the prism because it was a torture chamber. In addition to that, they also had elements that belonged to the person's gift sets, uh, representations of things that they were good at literally sitting in that prism with a portion of the person's spirit. So it was just a total hijacking. And so I dealt with the demon. Uh, he got his face beat in. And then... Uh, we got an angel to carry the person's spirit portion out and ministered to the spirit portion at, at that time. And then we took everything else out. Well, then God backed the person's view out. And they saw in the spirit a giant craft. And they saw tens or hundreds of thousands of these prisms attached to that craft. And it was being piloted by all various kinds of entities so we're still in the conversation on getting people set free but now we've brought into this conversation the idea of craft back to the idea of ufos people getting abducted experiments prisons in the heavens we are looking at hundreds of thousands of people trapped on this craft spirit portions that have been secreted into this thing so what do you do when you have a giant craft and hundreds of thousands. Well, you know what I do? <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Hang on. 
I can ask you a question. Yeah. So going back to the prism, you spoke into existence a door. Yes. Okay. This is something a lot of people don't understand about the spiritual world. And this is something that Steve Harmon has taught me. Uh, thank you, Steve. You're awesome. I love you, brother. When Steve has been working with fragments and altars, Jesus has frequently told him to speak something into existence. So when he wants to disciple some fragment or altar, Jesus will say, speak a book into existence that this person can read about me. So Steve will speak it into existence and there will be a book and the person, the fragment or altar can read the book. People don't understand and they don't want to believe that in the spiritual realm, our words have creative power. That unlike in the natural world where you can't simply make a Jeep appear in your driveway by speaking it into existence, <laughs> in the spiritual world, what you speak comes to pass. So you spoke into existence a door, and the, that became the exit for this, the spirit uh, fragment. You're using the power of your words to and, – and people don't understand – this is exactly what witches and warlocks do. So I hate to say this, but it's true that many times very experienced, knowledgeable witches and warlocks know more about the power of our words and the power of the spiritual world than we do. Because I have been looking at and thinking about how sometimes our prayers become almost borderline witchcraft prayers because many times what we're doing with our prayers is we're trying to subvert the will of another person to line up with our will, particularly in marriages and relationships. For some reason, a lot of Christians want to pray that and I get these prayer requests. Would you pray that this relative of mine would find a better husband, a better wife, someone who treats them better. And essentially they're asking me to pray that this person would get divorced and find somebody else. What I've been concerned about is a lot of times our prayers end up becoming I, I, something like, I want to control the will of this person and make them fall in love with somebody else or make them despise somebody else or leave a relationship because I don't think that person is in the right relationship. So what witches and warlocks do when they're casting spells and curses on people is they visualize in their mind what they want to happen. They're using their imagination. They're visualizing in their mind what they want to pass, what their will is for that situation, and they speak it into existence. Sometimes they have little things like they will take, they'll use um, voodoo dolls or replicas of the person, or they'll take animal parts that represent what they want to do, and then they'll put them on the person's property, put make sure it gets into their house somehow so it increases the power. But essentially, what they're doing is they're speaking into existence uh, what they want to happen. They have figured out that there is power in the spiritual world when we speak into existence something. And you're, that's exactly what you're doing. And m most Christians, 95% of them, have no idea that what you speak into existence in the spiritual world becomes a reality. Well, many times. Not all the time. But if it's, if it's in line with what God wants you to do, now I, I, I can guarantee I'd tell you what you're going to do with those prisms that are attached to that spacecraft. See, you already said, when you run into a world or a place in the spiritual world that is not advantageous to you, you're going to change it. 
you're going to speak something to change the circumstance. Right? Oh. Well, and, and you know the funny thing that people do. So see, the Bible will say, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths, right? So we say, everywhere I go is a shut door and a dead end. Okay. <laughs> so what did you just speak into your spiritual environment? Shut doors and dead ends. Shut end. door I mean, and a dead end. Come you on. Just, you just spoke into existence what you didn't want to have happen. So I, I could go through every promise in the Word of God and, and find something that somebody says that's contradictory to that. And show you how Christians literally spend not just their, you know, daily lives speaking themselves into a pit. Their prayer times. Because their prayer time is complaining about this, complaining about that, and complaining about the other thing. Right. But God said, um, you know, blessed be his angels who excel in strength who perform his word, who hearken unto the voice of his word. God's angels, the ones on assignment with us to fulfill the will and purpose of God's kingdom, are looking for the word of God in our mouths to fulfill it and establish it in the spirit realm. Exactly. Exactly. They are waiting for us to speak uh, God's will for our lives and our situations into existence so they can make it happen. Look at that. What, what essentially happened is once I got that spirit out, then what I had was a witness. Um, and so whenever I'm going to move into what I call large-scale judgments, um, which is part of my personal ministry, it's actually, I've, as strange as it sounds, it's like a ministry of justice and judgment, but I, I leverage it into the heavens. And so I have a witness, which is that part that suffered affliction as a result of what was being done there. And so I can take their testimony. That's evidence in the courts of heaven, before the Father, Aha. it needs to be addressed. And therefore, then I move into judge. I'm sorry, but I, I, for people who are not familiar with this, I'm, I, I would like to, because I've gone into the courts of heaven and I've done some work there. And I find it very interesting that you can, you can have a lot of different entities testify on your behalf or testify on behalf of the person you're representing. You can have the blood testify. You can have the angels testify. Now, you can have a witness, a person who is a witness to an event. They can be called to testify, too. Why not? <laughs> okay. Good teaching point. So if you're listening, taking notes, write this down. <laughs> so so this is how you leverage large-scale judgment, right? So I have the witness, testimony. Now I begin to speak. And I'm not saying I, – I don't – you know, it's hard for me when I get into this conversation to say, well, this is what, you know, anyone can do. And this is what you have to graduate into. This is what has to be given to you, because I have been through a lot of spiritual graduations, a lot of maturation. I've, I've been walking with the Lord. He's given me permission to do certain things. I don't know. Your actual mileage may vary. Your actual mileage may vary, folks. So, you know, be led by the spirit of the right. Lord. Don't just be, do be led, because it's going to look different for everyone. Amen. Yeah. Amen. People, I'm reluctant to give people suggestions about how to approach uh, certain things and how to how to present their case in court because it's going to be different for each person. The adversary is going to be different. What you're going to see when you get into this, depending on what court you go into, there are different courts. Um, it's going to be different, and you have to really be led by the Spirit in that in that situation. Um, long story short, we destroyed the entire craft, and everyone got set free. And so you, how did you destroy the craft? 
Come on. <laughs> right? Details. Right, we want the details. You know, it was so cool. Well, I, I basically begin to speak according to mechanics. I detail the process by which the parts of people are going to be released from the, the prisms. And as I go through the mechanics of what needs to take place in the spirit with my words, um, all the pods begin to explode and all of the parts that are in them begin to be taken and portaled into. And I usually do this thing where I'll send them for processing to the third heaven because processing means you, you can have any kind of thing when you deliver captives. You, you can have, uh, you know, pieces of people that have been demonized. So, so it's like human-demon combo. They need to actually be severed. What is demonic needs to be dealt away, and, and what is human needs to be healed. Um, you, you have soul fragments. You have spirit fragments. You have all kinds of – sometimes even in the spirit, they'll attach machines or synthetic components to human parts. It, it's really, really bizarre and so if I don't have time to minister one by one, what I will do is send them to third heavenly places for processing because there are angels that know how to do this. And um, I, I, I just, you know, you, you don't have time to deal with 100,000 things. And so I, I do that and they know how to get them there. Uh, the interesting thing was you know, uh, the person I was working with saw this very clearly. There were these special angels that went on assignment with this one. These angels are like dive bombers. They had very, very tough heads. <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't even know. I, like, it was just being described to me like the, these large and very hard, just brutal battering ram type heads. And they had their wings tucked so that they like came down with maximum velocity and began to Swiss cheese the craft. Wow. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Tell me about that it. That is very interesting. So all the pods are exploding. All of the uh, the craft is getting switched cheese by all these angels. And I'm going off. You know, I'm just commanding this and speaking that. And, you know, when I do warfare like this, how do I do it? I, well, I have countless scriptures memorized. And I just go off. I know spiritual weapons. I just go off. And I'm like lay, just, just laying it out there. You know, uh, you know, what do spiritual weapons look like? Well, Psalm 18, you have... Arrows of God, you have hailstones, coals of fire, you have, you have living water, you have anointing oil, you have the blood of Jesus, you have the sword of the Spirit, you have um, even glory, light. Light itself is a weapon in God's kingdom because the, right. the, the darkness cannot even understand or comprehend it. There's so many different elements of revelation applied to become spiritual weapons. And so I go off and I'm you know, quoting scripture and this and that, and all of this is happening in response to that. Well, after enough damage takes place, that the entire thing is just done for. A, a whole bunch of demons try to escape, but essentially I <laughs> speak a prison. I put them all in the prison in, in Jesus' name and, and you, you chuck that you off. You spoke into the a abyss. prison into existence. Okay, I did. This is, I, I this spoke is, a prison into existence. This is what Steve Harmon does. Now, this is going to freak a lot of people out, but you know, you just have to get over yourself. Steve speaks a lot of torture devices into existence in the <laughs> spiritual world to torment demons. He puts them in prison. He, when he's interrogating them, he will torture them. He wrote a Facebook post not long ago. Mm. Uh, gosh, it, was, it probably was long ago. It was a couple years ago called The Increasing Problem of Demon Abuse. Oh, my. And he was basically teaching on the fact that 
Jesus permitted him to interrogate and torture demons. It pissed a lot of people off because they're like, how could you do that? But, you know, here's, here's the reality. We're, we're warriors. We're soldiers. And I'm not going to say all is fair in love and war, but I will say that I absolutely, adamantly believe that if we do not take the battle to the enemy, the enemy is going to own us. When the Gadarene demoniac came to Jesus, he said, have you come to torment us before the time? Exactly. Well, Jesus said, yeah, I'll let you go into the pigs. But, you know, when I show up, I said, yeah, yeah, I did come to torment you before the time. Thanks for asking. Stupid demons knew that Jesus was going to torment them. And they're asking, are you going, have you come to torment us before our time? Like, are we going to get tormented now or are you going to wait a little while? Mm-hmm. So, so, so they, you know, they live in great fear of real believers, people that walk in the power of Jesus Christ, oh, who yes. had the yes. power to torment them before the time. You could torment any kind of thing. Well, you start tormenting demons. I mean, what are demons doing to us? They're tormenting us. You start tormenting them back, and word gets out, and they start talking, and they're like, that one you do not want to mess with because he tortured a couple of my buddies, and yeah, you want to stay away from that one. I am building a collection of prisons in the abyss right now. <laughs> I, I even put notes on the prisons with my name on them. Sticky notes? It, well, <laughs> more like signs because they're usually on fire by the time they arrive. So, you know, I, I, people are always shocked because a sign actually appears on the prison. They can see it. Right. There's a sign on there. <laughs> well, you speak it into existence. Exactly. It, it's there. It's a reality. They can see it, even if no one else can. You know, and so I'm going to recap what happened with Dan for, for the listeners at home. Dan was given an assignment. He was shown something. Now, I'm assuming that it was all sort of you saw this all through visual impressions in your mind as structures and places external to you, or are these as things that you see in, in your mind's eye? Great question. Typically what happens when I'm working with people is that the people I'm working with can see a lot better than I see. Oh, okay. So right. what I do is I move off of promptings because I'm very good at flowing with the Holy Spirit who will give me exactly what I need to say. I'm very good at partnering with my own spirit who is in the spirit realm, even though I don't have a full picture I am able to leverage my authority and my relationship with God into a very effective ministry that um, deals huge damage. But when I'm working with someone like that, they will see like a movie many times exactly what's happening. And then they'll come back and they'll be able to say, Daniel, while you were speaking, this happened, this happened, this happened, this And it's as clear as day. Okay, and that's cool because I, I experience the same thing. I know Steve does too. He relies a lot on what the person, the fragment, the altar is seeing at that time. So what he did was he found a fragment of a spirit that was trapped in a prison, freed that spiritual fragment, and then the Lord showed him a larger assignment and said, now that you had victory in this small area, let's go large scale. So for people at home who are listening, expect at times that if you get something down pat and you understand it, expect that the Lord is going to show you something even bigger, similar but bigger, so that you can go and do something a little more large scale. 
Now, you had gotten really excited when I mentioned the word portals. I, I did, because, well, we need to know about this stuff. Okay, talk to me about it, man. What, what, what has God shown you? I have very limited understanding of portals. Most of my understanding is actually through things that other people have told me. Like, when I was living in Washington State, we had this house, and we would occasionally host gatherings, and people would come over, we'd, we'd worship, and uh, barbecue ribs on the grill, and, and just get together, hang out, prophesy, and, uh, and whatnot. And inevitably, somebody who had not been in my house before would come over to me and say, so how long have you had that portal uh, there in your living room? Right up <laughs> Oh, my. And I'd be like, yeah, I don't exactly know how long that's been there. I did not see it. But numerous other people would walk into my house, be there for a while, and go, so what do you, you guys use that portal for? Uh, now, I, I'll, I'll hear, okay, so here's a dream that I had. I was on, it was when I went to Washington. Uh, it was a year and a half ago, two years ago. I went back to Washington. I'd been living in Arizona for five years now. I went back to Washington, and I was doing a thing called The Gathering with Steve Harmon. Uh, he was my secret special guest. We went up there. And we had some meetings in a hotel. And uh, we were talking about traveling in the spirit, uh, seeing in the spirit, emotional healing. We got a bunch of people uh, who had dissociative identity disorder. We were working with them, getting them some healing. And while I was there in the hotel for a week, I wasn't having dreams. And I'm a pretty regular dreamer. And it was bugging me that uh, I wasn't having dreams. So I was laying there on the bed one afternoon, and the Holy Spirit said, well, why don't you speak a portal into existence? So I thought, oh, that's a good idea. So I spoke a portal into existence in the middle of the hotel room, of our hotel room, right above my bed. I just said, in the name of Jesus, I establish a portal of revelation right into this room, goes straight through to the throne room of heaven, through which revelation is going to pass and angels are going to pass. And and that basically was just what I did. I just spoke this thing into existence. Well, that night, I had my first dream uh, since I had been in that hotel. And in the dream, I could see the effects of people's prayers into the far distant future. Like I saw all these different friends of mine who had been praying. And the Lord showed me the effects of their prayers five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years down the road. He actually showed me how their prayers were going to come to pass. That was just one of the dreams that I had. I had dreams all night long, and revelation was coming through, and I sensed angels were coming through, and it was just so cool. So I don't have a ton of experience with portals, but I have an insane amount of curiosity to know more about them. My, my, my. So you were led to speak a portal into existence. And, and what you are doing then is interfacing with the spirit from the natural with your words. Right. Man, oh man. So what's, what's your experience? <laughs> Come on, give it up. Well, I mean, I actually did two podcasts back to back. I called it Portals Part 1, Portals Part 2. I don't know if you know this, um, but I wrote a book. I, I saw them. I haven't listened to them yet, but I'm going to. Oh, well, praise God. You know, I, I wrote a book, folks, and those of you that listen to this program called Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions in the Spirit Realm. And I spend three chapters talking about 
portals. Well, and I will, I'll put links to the books in the podcast notes for people who want to check out the books. And, and for everyone that's, that's listening, that's like, who really is interviewing who here? Um, I, <laughs> I think that what's happening is that uh, we are both using this same recording on our podcasts. Right. Whenever you have a podcaster interviewing another podcaster, both people get interviewed. Unfortunately, or fortunately, as the case may be, because you have questions and I have questions. So, you know, Amen. I think it's all good. Why not have a conversation? Right. The Bible has a conversation on all kinds of different portals. And, and what a portal is in, in my study is a doorway, a gateway or an entrance. That's really all it is. You know, you could call the entrance to a castle that giant door, a portal. Um, in the spirit, a portal is a means by which you open a door from one realm or plane or dimension to another. So in Revelation chapter 4, when John right. said, I saw a door before me, and the voice said, come up here, that was a portal. Come on now. In, in, the, in the Gospels, Jesus says, I am the door, the portal, and they will come in and out and find pasture. Through Jesus, we have access to the Father and the heavenly sphere as believers, and we go in and out as citizens in heaven. Okay. That should be normal Christianity, I think. Going into, well, you know, Jesus said, the Son of Man who is in heaven. He was talking to his disciples, and he said, look, I am here on earth, and I am in heaven at the same time. I go to and fro. I go back and forth. How did Jesus see what the Father was doing? He said the Son only does what he sees the Father doing. How did he see what the Father was doing? He had access to the throne room. He was watching what the Father was doing. Now, my we need, we need to do the same thing. We need to know what the Father is doing. And we do that by accessing heaven through the portals. Now, how were you an atheist? Dude, I was a I was a born again atheist. I hated Christians. I didn't even have any interest in spirituality at all. Let me correct that. There was a short time in the early 90s for about a year where I was kind of interested not in new age philosophy or experiences, but music. I liked the music. I got I was listening to National Public Radio and I got uh I kind of liked some of the new age music. My wife actually was following some of the teachings, Deepak uh, Chopra and different people. But I never really got into the New Age philosophy. I just thought the music was cool. It was relaxing. I actually DJed a New Age music program briefly for about five or six months. This is like in 91 or 92. That's really the only spiritual interest I ever had prior to the time I was 38. I had just been uh, really disinterested in anything spiritual, religious. I had no interest. I had an actually an animosity and a hatred for it. Uh, that's, and, and my, my conversion was pretty radical. I, I became kind of a Pharisee at first, but then over the last eight years, the Lord has softened my heart and helped me become more of a spiritual seeker more than a religious nut. So that's kind of the short... <laughs> Short story. I mean, because you don't talk like a religious person here. Oh, my gosh. If you met me 10 years ago, yeah, it's not good. It wasn't good. 
not good. No, I was very judgmental and very uh, religious and very close-minded. How did God transition you out of that mindset? Lots and lots of dreams. Um, He really has, like, I have a stack of note cards on my nightstand that I've been saving since 2008 when I started having dreams. I've had over 400 dreams just about the subject of healing and hundreds and hundreds of other dreams about other things, just spiritual revelation, um, his, his heart for his people. The dreams, as I've meditated on them, have really given me a better and a radically different understanding of his heart for people that destroyed the religious, judgmental stuff that I got filled up with the first seven years after I got saved. It was a, it was a process of deconstruction. Wow. You know, one of the things in the Bible shows up in Deuteronomy. It, it says in Deuteronomy 13.1, if a prophet arises among you or a dreamer of dreams and gives you a sign or a wonder. I actually think that dreamer of dreams can be viewed as an office. Huh. That's interesting. I'd never thought about that. Now, because I'm thinking, I'm hearing you talk and I'm like, that's a different kind of ministry. Everyone has dreams, but man, God deals with you, brother. I never had a dream for 25 years. After I got to be about 20 or 21 years old, mm-hmm. I've never had a dream after that until I was uh, 46 or 47 wow. years old. I had the first dream I'd had in like 25 years. And then that's the dream where uh, the Lord appeared to me and said, I'm going to show you what's wrong with your patients. And if you pray with them, I'll heal them. That was, that was essentially my commissioning. Where, you know, you read in Jeremiah 1 where the Lord commissioned Jeremiah and showed him the vision of the, the boiling kettle and all that. That's kind of what he did with me. He, he said, look, this is going to be my commissioning. I'm going to show you what's wrong with people who are sick and I want you to heal them. And it's been a crazy ride since then. Now, we've been talking about all kinds of stuff off the wall. I, now, I do need to I let you give some testimonies about the that part of your journey just being led to minister healing because of the revelation coming through dreams and you know it, it, it i think this is really cool because some people are not really aware of how god can teach and train them in dreams um can you give us a few anecdotes of how that played out oh yes absolutely um i have had a lot of fun with the, the ministry of healing, <laughs> if you want to call it that, uh-huh. I have been able to pray with a lot of people in the ambulance. And, and I'll share a few testimonies. So when I was working in Tacoma, I did a lot, and I still do, a lot of uh, inter-facility transfers. So I transfer people from one hospital to another who are having uh, procedures, surgery, that they don't have at a smaller hospital. We transfer them to a larger hospital. One call I went on in particular, and this was an interesting weekend actually. I prayed with a 95 or 96-year-old woman who is in the ICU at uh, Good Samaritan Hospital in Puyallup. She was going over to St. Joe's in Tacoma for a pacemaker implant. She had a long run of, basically, she flatlined in the middle of the night in the ICU, and and it recorded it 
and she was having long pauses in her heartbeat. So they were going to have her go to the hospital to get a pacemaker put in. So we were transporting her, and uh, I was uh, getting some vital signs. And as I went to put the blood pressure cuff on her arm, she said, Oh, Sonny, please be careful with my arm. I have a, a frozen shoulder. So I was very gentle, and I, I got the blood pressure cuff on her arm without moving her shoulder around too much. And then I asked her if I could pray for her. And she said, oh, that'd be great. So uh, this is her left shoulder. So I'm praying over her left shoulder. I'm just commanding it to be healed. And uh, she doesn't feel anything. So I took three, three shots at it and nothing, no changes at all. She, it was still stiff. She couldn't move it. Didn't feel any heat or tingling. And I was kind of disappointed because I really thought she was going to get healed. I, I, I just felt like I had prayed with a lot of people for heal, healing of shoulders and had seen a lot of success. And I was really confused as to why her shoulder wasn't healed. So we're continuing the transport. And a couple of minutes before we get to the hospital, all of a sudden, she raises her right arm up in the air and she starts swinging it around like a windmill in a circle. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm healed. And I'm sitting here scratching my head going, what are you doing? I prayed over her left shoulder and she's swinging her right arm around. And I said, ma'am, hang on a minute. I said, what? I'm confused. I thought you said you had a frozen left shoulder. And she said, Sonny, I have two frozen shoulders. I couldn't move either one of them. And I'm right-handed. And this is the arm that I need. I don't care about this other one. Praise God, I'm healed. So she got healing of the opposite shoulder of the one I prayed for. <laughs> that same weekend, I prayed for a 95-year-old woman who had uh, arthritis in her knee. She couldn't, she, it was too painful for her really to stand on. So I prayed over that knee and her knee got completely healed. Um, so I saw a 95 and a 96-year-old woman get healed in the same weekend. When I moved down here to Arizona, uh, prayed for some people, saw some crazy stuff happen. I transported a gentleman one time who had a 500-pound sheet of plexiglass fall on his hand. He was working at this factory where they, where they manufactured this stuff. And uh, it was on a cart and the cart tipped over. And he tried to stop it from hitting the floor. And he wasn't able to hold it up, of course. It smashed his hand and filleted his fingers, just cut them wide open, busted the skin. And so we arrived at the hospital where he was transported to. And they had his hand wrapped up, just basically mummified. They just wrapped a bunch of gauze bandages around it. And we were transferring him to another hospital where they were going to do surgery. He was in a lot of pain when we got there. So we got him in the ambulance, and uh, I'm transporting him to the other hospital. I'm looking at his medical history, and I see that he takes uh, he was taking Vicodin and Soma. So I know, I, I don't really operate a lot in words of knowledge, but... I, I know that just from history, people who take Soma and Vicodin, often uh, they take those two medications because they have chronic back pain. So I asked him, I said, um, just out of curiosity, you don't have chronic back pain, do you? He goes, yeah. He goes, I've got a herniated disc. Uh, my doctor wants me to have surgery, but I really don't want to have the surgery, so I'm just kind of, you know, toughing it out. And I asked him, I said, now, here's where at that point I was always looking at people in terms of if they have something, <clears throat> if they have multiple things that need healing, I would go for the easiest one. And from my perspective, it's much easier to heal someone who just has a herniated disc 
or a torn meniscus in their knee or a blown out ankle, some kind of orthopedic injury for me, really super easy to get healed. Smashed fingers, not so much. I had never seen anybody with smashed fingers get healed before. So I thought, I'm going to go for the easy healing. I had been commanding, just, you know, put my hand near their back, command the pain to leave, command discs and nerves to be healed. That had been kind of my standard approach. But I felt that the Holy Spirit wanted me to try something different this time. So um, I didn't command anything. I didn't actually pray at all. I said, okay, I'd like to try something with you. I said, wiggle around and tell me how much pain you're in right now. So he was uh, in three out of 10 pain in his lower back. So I started telling him testimonies of people that I'd seen healed in the ambulance. And I told him one testimony after another testimony after another testimony. And then I said, how's your back doing? His eyes got as big as saucers. He goes, dude, you are freaking me out. He goes, I don't have any back pain at all. Oh, wow. I said, wiggle around, move around, just make sure you're not having any pain. He was moving, wiggling. He goes, no, dude. He goes, "I'm I'm not even joking. I don't have any pain at all. So I said, well, you just got healed by a Jewish carpenter who died 2,000 years ago. Uh, Now let's go after your hand. So I started praying over his fingers and commanding the pain to leave, commanding uh, the soft tissue to be healed and the skin healed and the bones healed. At the time I started praying with him, the pain was about a 9 out of 10. After about four, uh, just commanding the pain to leave and commanding everything to be healed, the fourth time, he had no pain at all. It's completely gone. So, yeah, I've seen some really interesting stuff in the ambulance. Of the probably, gosh, three or 4,000 people, maybe 5,000 people I've prayed for in the ambulance, mm-hmm. uh, I've probably, I, I think I can remember three people who said no. Of the thousands of people I've asked. Wow. People really... Uh, I've even had atheists and I've had Buddhists and I've had other people say, you know, I don't really believe in healing or I don't believe in God, but if you think you can get me healed, go for it. Uh, Because when you're in an ambulance, you're usually in a situation where you're hurting and you're in a bad situation and you know it and you will try anything if it'll make your situation better. So I've almost never do I hear anyone refuse prayer in in the ambulance. That, that that's that's awesome. I, I I'm going back to how the Holy Spirit prompted you to just tell stories. Yeah. This is the thing. <laughs> the Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And you know what what I see happening there is that by hearing the testimony, the man's <laughs> faith, faith essentially exactly was the exactly. reason he received healing. Well, think about this, uh-huh. okay? And this is this is the specific scripture and the and the incident that the Holy Spirit brought to my mind that day, and and, and I teach on this quite a bit uh, when I teach on healing. So, when the woman with the flow of blood reached out and grabbed the hem of Jesus' garment and was healed, who was in the audience? Jairus. Okay, so Jairus is in the audience. He knows his daughter is sick, very sick. And as the woman with the flow of blood is being healed, and Jesus asked her, said, who touched me? And the disciples were like, well, what do you mean? Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. He goes, I felt power go out. Who was it? And then he asked this woman to tell her story. 
Well, he had her testify in front of Jairus. Jairus is looking at Jesus, and Jesus looks at Jairus. And he's like, okay, so now you heard the testimony. And Jairus goes to Jesus and says, hey, I have a daughter who needs healing. Then the friend comes and tells Jairus, don't bother, she's dead. So now Jesus turns to Jairus and says, only believe and she will be made well. He had the power of the testimony sitting in front of him. And he had a choice, either live in unbelief or live in faith. And if you have faith, your daughter's going to be healed and raised from the dead. There is such power in the testimony that I seldom do I pray for anyone for healing without telling them a couple of testimonies first. Because it's not that the person has to have faith to be healed. God can heal atheists. He can heal anyone. They don't have to believe in him. They don't have to have faith. But I think it helps. It, it helps. If it doesn't help them, it certainly helps me to rehearse a couple of testimonies of people who've been healed. Because it does impart faith many times to the person who needs healing. And it jacks up my faith when I tell some crazy story about a person who the Holy Spirit healed in a really interesting way. If it, even if it doesn't help their faith, it helps mine. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, at this point, I want to branch off a little bit because I need to come back to something that you brought up. We were going to talk about portals, or did we already? We, oh. <laughs> no, you know what? And then there's that one too because they got started. We just had a few sentences, and then I just rudely interrupted myself and asked you a question. So, um, yeah. <laughs> portals yeah so okay um what i was what i was saying though is that there's all kinds of portals in the bible i think we're just gonna have to have you back at some point soon i i think that's what i happening. would i would love to have another conversation because there's so many different things we could talk about we really need to we, we need to do that and, and so with the portal thing there's so many different kinds of portals in the Bible, and you, you, you're really talking about how to bridge realms. And so, you know, and, and you see different kinds of manifestations surrounding portals sometimes. Very interesting. Um, I see a, a very interesting scenario crop up with um, Abraham, where God told Abraham to cut the, these animals in half, except in the, the birds. He had to line them up, and he was going to basically go into that covenant with God. But then a heavy sleep falls on Abraham. It says a horror of great darkness shows up, and then there's God. And he walks through and creates the covenant without Abraham's help. That Abraham, right. you are not implicated in this covenant. There's nothing you can do that's going to ruin this. I'm doing it by myself. So the Abrahamic covenant is uh, – it's immovable. There's nothing that unless God defaults. And um, the, the the interesting thing, though, about that covenant is that the horror of great darkness shows up before God does. And it's like, what is that? And I pondered that many times. And then I got into, well, one, the book of Ezekiel, and two, when God showed up on Mount Sinai. Like when God showed up on Mount Sinai for the Israelites, there was this huge dark cloud surrounding the mountain. And it's like, well, why was that there? And then there was 
lightnings in the mountain coming out of it and all that. And the people were so scared they didn't want to go up. So they sent Moses. They said, you go for us. And God said, I will speak to you out of the thick darkness. And so it's like, wait a minute. On Mount Sinai, what God did, essentially, he opened a portal, a doorway to manifest so that he could introduce himself to Israel. And Moses went up there for 40 days, drinking no water and eating no food. Yeah, he, he was, was sustained fine. supernaturally. And if I'm not mistaken, weren't there others who went up with him? And they were also supernaturally sustained without food or water. They were living in another dimension, I think. So what I see there is that there, there's like portal activity you see on Mount Sinai. I think the cloud, the, 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 um, the horror of great darkness that showed up when Abraham was doing his sacrifice was actually a cloud manifesting as a result of a portal that God opened up in order to step into earth time space and create that covenant. So there was a manifestation of a cloud around the portal. And in the book of Ezekiel, in the beginning, you see that there is this cloud and then, and then there's this, um, basically, it's this fire kind of cloud thing engulfing itself. And the next okay. thing you see are these living creatures that come in. I think that was a portal. Jacob's ladder, the angels of God ascending and descending, definitely a portal. Definitely a portal. The transfiguration. Obviously. Obviously a portal because, I mean, here's Jesus with the three on the mountain, and then, bam, he's glorified. And then Elijah and Moses show up, and they're talking. Absolutely. There's another one that's really significant. Actually, two. And they involve fire. Fire is a huge portal. It's very interesting that so many rituals occur around a bonfire. Okay. I mean, even uh, like voodoo rituals, beat the drums, light the fire, uh, different kinds of, uh, you know, African rich doctors do their things. They, they, they build the bonfire. In the book of Judges, there's an angel that appears to prophesy Samson's birth. First, he meets Manoah's wife, Samson's father, and then um, he, he goes away. And then Manoah prays that the, the messenger, who he thinks is a man, would come back and talk to him. So then it comes back, and then he talks to both the wife and the husband. And they want to have a meal with the man, quote-unquote, who, who has a physical body in this. Who then lights a fire and right. bakes a cake. Well, the, the, the Bible says that once they had the food, it, like the angel does wondrously. It, it says he steps into the fire and ascends to heaven. Right. But what in the wearing, heck is that all about? He's wearing a physical body as he steps into the fire and then pff, gone. Right. And then they know he's an angel. And they, I mean, I'm sure they spazzed out. But fire functions as, how about Nebuchadnezzar's oven? <laughs> Shadrach, right. Meshach, and Abednego. They put him in the fire, and who shows up? The fourth man in the fire. The, the fire is activated as a portal by the spirit realm under certain circumstances. So do you think that when, say, witches and warlocks are having their rituals and they light a fire, 
are they opening a portal for dark spirits to come through? I think that dark spirits can use the fire under certain circumstances. I, I don't think that roasting marshmallows around a campfire, like, you know, oh, I don't no. want people to be paranoid here. Right. Um, but if you're sitting there reading incantations and offering blood sacrifice around a fire, you're probably going to achieve something. You, you may open a portal, maybe. Well, and here's the thing. I have personal experience. The Holy Spirit said, why don't you speak a portal into existence? Mm, mm, mm. And I had, that was not on my radar. Up until that day, I will say something else. So at the same time, when I was up in Tacoma at the gathering, my wife and I were talking to some friends who are studying these subjects. And uh, they were curious to know what, what my wife Denise does at the gatherings. And my wife said, I don't really know what I do. All these other people they teach, and they some other guys do healing, and some other people do deliverance. And she says, I don't even really know what my role is in all of this. And the Holy Spirit, as she was saying this, said, she opens portals. And I was like, what? And he goes, what do you think she does when she's praying in tongues while you're doing your message? And I was like, oh my gosh. So... When I'm doing ministry, when I'm praying for somebody, or when I'm when we're doing worship, or when I'm teaching, if my wife is doing anything, she's praying in tongues. She, whenever I pray for someone to be healed, my wife does not pray in English ever. She always prays in tongues. It doesn't matter where we are. We can be in bed praying. We can be uh, on us at a restaurant praying for someone to be healed. My wife, her instinctive language now is tongues. She's always praying in tongues. And the Holy Spirit said, when she prays in tongues, she's opening portals for angels to come through, for revelation to come through, for signs and wonders to come through. That is what she's doing. Now, the Bible says, he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks mysteries. But speaks into existence mysteries, probably. <laughs> the thing is, the mystery, or the Greek word mustiero, means that which is hidden now being revealed. Right. You know, here's an interesting passage. John one fifty one. It says, and he said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon On the Son, the of, son man. of Man. Jesus right. was a walking gate. Ladder. Get portal. Portal, Kate. ladder, to heaven. Well, my friend Craig Adams said this. He said, look, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in you. And if Jesus was a portal, a walking, talking portal for the kingdom, <laughs> and he is our forerunner, our brother, the firstborn among many brethren, I believe that we are also portals of the kingdom. What, what is happening when you and I pray for someone to be healed? The power of heaven is coming through us into the physical realm, into someone's body, and it is healing their condition. When we prophesy over someone, the revelation from heaven, from their scroll of destiny, is coming from there through us into them, and it is creating a change in their spiritual DNA, it is renewing their mind to what God wants them to understand. 
I I believe in a sense we're all walking, talking portals of the kingdom, and stuff comes through us all the time. A portal really is nothing more than opening a doorway from one realm to another. Now, I thought you said you didn't know that much about portals, but I'm like listening to you talk. I'm like, wow. Well, like I said, I qualified it. I said, what do you know about portals, most of which I've learned from other people. Oh, man. The Bible calls the body of Christ. Okay, first of all, body of Christ, Jesus. Um, the temple of God. And the temple is used in both a corporate reference to the ecclesia, the church, and a singular reference to the individual believer. Jesus Christ also called himself the temple when he said, I will rebuild this temple or raise it up in three days. Right. But what was the temple? It was God's meeting place with earth. It was where the divine presence manifested above the mercy seat, where atonement was made for sins once a year, the sprinkling of goats and calves. The, the first time that they made a sacrifice in the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, the cloud was so profound, it pushed all the priests out of the temple they couldn't minister. You want to talk about yep. a portal? The temple was a portal. That's what it was. So if the temple was a portal and now the church corporately and singularly is the temple of God in the new covenant, what does that make us? We are the meeting place. We are the place where the glory of God is manifest in the earth. It's amazing. And if you have been doing this for a while, you know, you can just show up someplace and there will be a little cloud of glory around you and people will <laughs> sense it. <laughs> And it's just like what happened in the temple. People are falling down and people are, you know, the, the glory when it shows up just does things to people. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, it is amazing. Brother, wow. <sighs> All right. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate your time, uh, but I got to get back to I'm going to actually work on trying to get this book finished up on traveling in the spirit. I, I sometimes feel like I don't I don't have enough revelation to write the book yet, mm. but but the Holy Spirit keeps on reminding me. He said, "Look, your books are basic foundational books to explain the simple in simple terms how people can travel in the spirit. You don't have to go into great detail about all the different courts of heaven and how to do all these protocols and how to you know how to get into the divine council and all this other stuff." He goes. There, there are other teachers who can specialize in different areas, but he's been reminding me, write uh, a clear, concise, basic book that debunks a lot of misconceptions and explains the biblical basis and the truth of how people can start doing it. So that's kind of what my book is going to be. I've got a lot of testimonies from other people and some of my own, and just some basic going through the scriptures and showing all the cases where people were doing spiritual travel in the Bible and how common it was. That's really cool. Um, actually, in my book, Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions in the Spirit Realm, in a roundabout way without calling it that, I do get into that a bit because I give certain testimonies and anecdotes of things that we've done in the heavens, which is that. And so I'm sure you'll be interested in those. Like the, the There's only three chapters on portals, but 
it, it breaks down a lot of mechanics of the spirit, um, at least the way I've understood it thus far. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure. And, and that's awesome because my book does not break down the mechanics as much. So I'm glad there are people like you who are writing about the mechanics of it. Uh, that, that will be very you know, helpful. I'm just going to drop a, a little bird in your ear on this one. Um, so you, yeah, you can pray about this one. The way that I explain it is simply that I say the spirit has a trans-dimensional nature. So the human spirit can be spanned through dimensions. And because of that ability, the Bible says, um, you know, we are through great and precious promises made partakers of the divine nature of God. And one of the divine natures is omnipresence. Not that we are fully omnipresent as God is, but that we can partake of his omnipresent nature by reason of the way our spirit's fabric is constructed in the spirit realm. Do you, do you take the view that the spiritual realm is a realm of higher dimension, and because of that, it has authority over and has an, an effect on lower realms and lower dimensions, like the physical realm, physical dimension, and that a lower realm's ability to influence a higher realm is uh, negligible, but higher realms have great power to influence lower realms, and that there's this trans-dimensionality, like a higher realm and a being, a spiritual being, that has its primary existence in that realm has greater influence on a lower realm. I mean, it, does that make any sense, or am I just... That's exactly right. Okay. That's kind of how I see it. I'm just checking with you to, to see if that's how you see it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that like when, you, when God calls himself God most high, it's because he's the most high. Not, you know, altitude, but dimensionally... Right. He is he in the highest dimension, at the highest dimension. And <clears throat> he is God most high and everything is beneath him. As a matter of fact, the most powerful times of spiritual warfare that I've had, um, you know, I like the Bible says in the book of Revelation to him who overcomes, I will give to sit with me in my throne. Right. Well, I've done that. Like that's if I'm going to do something cataclysmic, I don't do it from Earth. I I do it from Heaven. Now, one of the qualifications is that you have to already be qualified as an overcomer. However, God determines that. All I know is that in 2014, I realized I was doing that for the first time. It was shocking. Like I sat on daddy's lap and I spoke down and I was speaking to heavenly constructs that are kind of hard to describe. Really, I was dealing with what are called dominions. And I mean, I could explain, you know, what that meant for that moment sometime if you wanted me to. But it was very strange. And the only place I really could have done it from was that place. Oftentimes when I am praying for healing of cancer, the Holy Spirit will show me a throne. Mm. I know from experience that when he shows me a throne, he is directing me not to do ground level warfare against cancer, making commands and rebuking and all that other stuff. But he is signaling me 
to sit on my throne in heavenly places and make a decree that does not even address directly the issue down here on earth. Uh, I'm going to a higher place. Uh, I just make it. I just make a declaration. Normally, what I do is I declare that when the person goes to have their next CAT scan, or their next PET scan, or their next uh, appointment with a doctor, that the doctor is going to come to them and say, "We don't know exactly what happened, but you no longer have any signs of cancer." So I make a, a declaration, and that's it. I don't do any warfare, and. I would say 80% of the time, maybe 90, when I'm praying against cancer, that's how the Holy Spirit leads me to pray. Mm. Not always, but very often. And I've, had, I've seen really good success against cancer doing that. And it comes from something that I read in David Taylor's book, Face-to-Face Appearances with Jesus. He was teaching something that he learned from Benny Hinn, which is that there are three levels of anointing. There's the leper's anointing, there's the priestly anointing, and there's the kingly anointing. And you do uh, healing and warfare from three different levels of anointing. Well, in one of his face-to-face appearances, Jesus corrected Taylor and said, there are not three levels of anointing. There are four. He said, there's actually one more that's called the imperial anointing, which is the anointing of an emperor. An emperor is the king of kings. He said, uh, if you look through the scriptures in the Old Testament, you'll see that the kings would go out and do battle. They would lead their armies. But an emperor does not do direct battle. An emperor stays on his throne and he makes a declaration and he makes a command. And because of his authority and because of the throne that he sits on, his servants make it come to pass. He doesn't do any warfare. He doesn't directly engage an enemy. He makes a declaration, and what he declares comes to pass. And from that revelation, I got this understanding that when I see a throne, I'm essentially functioning in the imperial anointing, which is to just make a declaration and don't do warfare. And uh, it's interesting. Um, When you try to explain to people how this all works, the dynamics of higher realms and higher positions of authority it's easy to get people confused but uh it sounds like we've had some similar experiences actually that is so spot on <clears throat> that, that's how i deal with everything um i mean not everything you know sometimes i'll get in a fight for fun right but yeah because i i i actually collapse timelines and destroy realms um that are not ordained collapse timelines yes um, one of the crazy things that we discovered the enemy does is they've created a whole bunch of counterfeit timelines and they anchor them through human agreement points in order to redirect the course of Earth events. I've, I've recently started hearing about timelines uh, that are created by the enemy. We've been dealing with it for a while. Um, this is absolutely true. I, I've collapsed thousands of timelines. I just take them away. So are these um, artificial timelines that uh, the enemy uses to screw people up uh, and to mess with their destiny? Yeah, Is that yeah. What talking I mean, they, they even have counterfeit apocalyptic time clocks. They're, they are literally trying 
in some cases, to create their own end times and get the world's Christians, primarily who they hack through mind control, to agree with it so that well, they can backdoor God. It, it, this is, was a large... We've been shutting it down left and right. I, I read an article... I think it was it was in some I don't know if it was in the New Yorker or the Washington Post, but it was an article written by a Muslim imam who pointed out the fact that ISIS has as its overarching narrative the belief that a an antichrist figure is going to appear on the scene who is going to try to dominate the world for the kingdom of darkness. And that their Messiah is going to come on the scene and defeat this Antichrist character. And the reason why ISIS is going out and picking fights with all these neighboring nations is they are trying to bring this apocalyptic event to come to pass. They believe their warfare is needed in order for this narrative to come to pass. And it's really funny because it's the very same narrative that a lot of evangelical Christians are following. But you found that the enemy also has these end time of apocalyptic time clocks that they're trying to bring to pass. The counterfeit timelines is a huge thing because they're trying to backdoor any way they can, their judgment. If they can create a counterfeit timeline and fulfill God's word with it to an extent that would defraud some of it, they can get God's word to fail and de facto force God out of his own throne by defrauding his own word. Um, they, they, they have a lot of things that they're doing. It, it's really, really crazy the way they think. Very legalistic. Well, yeah, but the spirit realm has a lot of rules. Right. And, and when you know the rules, which like these angels do, at least the majority of them, you know, they, they know what they're working towards. Um, and like I work with people who have altars that have, I've pulled out of future timelines. And then you and then you bring in the, the time dimension. My wife had a dream about six or seven months ago where she and I were going back and forth in time to change the effects of different events in, in time. Something that we had not really had a grid for up until recently, and we're trying to figure out what that looks like. It's, it's really interesting because, see, time itself is a dimension. That's one of the things we've been learning. Right. But you don't see the dimension of time unless you're in the spirit. What you experience is events being ordered through a dimension called time, and we call it a temporal dimension, but in the spirit, you can actually see it visualized. And I have talked to parts of people that have been in that dimension and have described it to me. And so it, it isn't, time isn't what we think it is. Right. And, um, but you have to, ag you have to exit 3D world space time and enter into that realm to understand it for what it is. But there is a place and a context for what you're describing you're doing in your dreams. Here's a, here's a hint, though. In the uh, Bible, Isaiah is, is called to go to Hezekiah and prophesy. He said, you're going to die, bro. And then he leaves. And Hezekiah cries out to God, and God says, you know what? 
I'm going to honor your request. You're going to have your life extended a few years. He goes to Isaiah. He says, turn around. He just delivered the prophetic word. He said, turn around. Tell him this. And so Isaiah, you know, you have to think what the prophet's doing. He's like, but I just told him he was going to die. Now you're telling me to go back and tell him that he's not going to die? Like, this is kind of silly. Like, so he goes back, tells him, all right, now you're not you're going to live. For you know, and then he goes on his way. What happened there? God changed the timelines. Okay, God changed the timeline. And as a sign, he had the sundial move back into a previous time. Because that's the next thing that happens. Hmm. And you would never see it until you begin to get into this conversation. You just kind of keep reading. But God changed. See, God, God actually, we've discovered it. They're called uh, dimensions of possibility, which are uh, possible futures that exist according to God's ordained sphere of activity. In addition to those, the enemy will create out of stolen stolen energies counterfeit realms and timelines that did not get ordained by God and God's set of possibilities. And they'll like try to anchor those in through agreement in people because Psalm 115, 16 says the earth he has given to the children of men. So they play off of that rule. Right. And so they try to anchor their counterfeit timelines into the earth. And it, it, even more amazing than that is like you have the regions of possibility below what we've found is that in addition to the ones the devil creates, there are other realms of possibility hidden in a place called the mind of the Father, which are viewable by no one, even Jesus, which includes the timing of his return. It, it, this thing, is, it, God has really expanded us out in this thing because I, it's been necessary. I've had to know this to do what I do because it goes so high. Oh, gosh. It's, the rabbit hole is deep. Oh, my gosh. That's for sure. Crazy. Wow. It is yeah. crazy. Um, anyway, I'm going to let you go. It, it's just been such a pleasure to be on a conversation with you. Daniel Duvall's podcast is on Podomatic at discoveringthetruth.podomatic.com. You can get his podcast on iTunes. You ha you're also on Blog Talk Radio. Yep. Uh, we, we, you know, people can find everything at bridemovement.com or thefireplacechurch.org. And I'll put links to those in the podcast notes. Praise <laughs> God for you, brother. We'll talk soon, man. Groovy. Thanks, bro. All right. Bye-bye. Well, folks, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for dropping by. If you're new to the podcast and you haven't been to my website, you might drop by and check out the articles I have there. If you have any questions or comments about the show, you can contact me at admin at prayingmedic.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at prayingmedic.com. You can also contact me on Facebook and Twitter. I'd like to thank you again for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed the show.